Welcome back, everyone, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Podcast. It's episode 218. It's Monday. That means we're here to give you guys the weekend recap. And what a weekend it was, Dominic. PFL 6, UFC 276, International Fight Week. Uh It felt like a massive weekend. My question to you right off the top, did it live up to its name or did it unfortunately disappoint? Grand scheme of things, both cards, combine them together. What do you got? I'm going to go, actually, rather than did it uh, you know, meet my expectations or not, I'm going to give it a grade the whole weekend out of 10. And I'm going to go like a... Like a should, six, you should do it. You should do it. See, but I feel like on a use, like on a Dom scale, that's like a two. That is, yes, for what it's worth. Right. Like, because I feel like you don't get much. Like, I mean, because I mean, that's on my scale, it's not much higher than that. Yeah. Like, we kind of have to grade on a curve almost because we're, we generally enjoy just having MMA in our lives at all. Yeah. So true. a 6.1, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's like not a passing grade in this, uh, in True. this instance. True. And uh, I, if I had to give it a grade, well, it's hard when you put PFL in. Is PFL a positive contributor or a negative contributor? Because <sighs> that's a tough one. They've had so much shit surrounding their cards, I feel like, the last I feel three. like <clears throat> PFL was on its way to delivering big. And then the co-main was pretty Oof. terrible. Yeah. And the main event, you know, it was what it was. Kayla Harrison doing Kayla Harrison shit. But it was a quick stoppage. Kind of just blink and you miss it. Like, you know, harmless. I'll say it's like a C minus. I'll say it was a pretty... It it wasn't a pot... Because I gave a C minus as a grade for UFC 276. For the pay-per-view. For the main card. I think the prelims bump it up a little bit. Yeah, but I think PFL six might bring it back down to where it's like a C minus. So yeah. I don't think it's a weekend that quite lived up. And you know, it's unfortunate because this was my big takeaway. This is why I get so down when a card like this kind of doesn't deliver. Not just because, of course, you know you're spending money on a lot of money. You know, even yeah. I mean, seventy five bucks now for a pay per view, and you kind of want it to deliver, obviously, but. To me, it's because I saw so many people talking about MMA, watching the card, who never do. Yep. And I just felt like this was a card that's not going to have them coming back for more. Yeah, that, that's a great description. And th- th- this kind of weekend, it's like, while there are still, there are a lot of positives, but the the less negatives outweigh them and kind of leave this cloud over the weekend is kind of how I'm viewing it. So in a lot of ways, it's like the big headliners right outside of Volkanovsky, but like the main event shot O'Malley. Yeah. It's a lot of negatives kind of in that, in that range, you know, it's not a lot of the big positives are smaller stories in the grand scheme of things. So that's why the, the negative kind of, if you go like, Proportionally, I would say there's probably a lot more positive takeaways. Yes, but if you just exactly. go off of like the big, what was supposed to be the big selling point of this card, um, let's just go ahead and transition into the main event because we're kind of <laughs> we're kind of dancing around the subject. But Israel Adesanya, he does make the fifth defense of his UFC middleweight title. He gets it done via unanimous decision against Jared the Killer Gorilla 
Cannoneer. So a lot has been said about this fight since it happened. I saw so many people talking about this fight on Twitter. A lot of people uh, in our group chat, we were going back and forth up until about two in the morning, just, mm -hmm. you know, kind of how we were feeling, you know, and uh, we've had some, and I thought, Dominic, I think you kind of took a step back for that conversation. You know, you had some input, but you ultimately didn't say a whole lot. So I'm curious now that you've had some time to sleep on it. You had a pretty decent sized drive home this morning from uh, your trip to Columbus. I'm curious, like, where do you sit right now? How are you feeling about Adesanya as the champ? And with that fifth title defense, you know, this performance, how did this stack up? How did this live up to your expectations? And kind of how do you feel about him? And maybe even how do you feel about Cannonier's performance now that you've had some time to sit on it? Yeah, so going in to this fight, and if you listen to our betting breakdown <laughs> or even like the, the preview show in general on Thursday, my expectations were pretty high for Izzy. I felt that this was a matchup for him to have another one of those flawless performances you know, i.e. Paulo Costa. That's what this fight reminded me of. The lead-up, Izzy seemed very motivated to go out and make a statement. He's had two decision victories. I enjoyed his fight with Whitaker, the rematch. Him and Vittori was mm -hmm. a little bit lower than that. But regardless, a lot of people, especially like the casual fans, because a lot more come in when Izzy's on cards because they put him on big cards, they're not going to want to come back like when fights like those happen. And this one just gets put in the batch with those, right? So, you know, he's got five title defenses now, but four you're able to kind of just forget about. I mean, five's a great number. It's a monumental. Not a lot of people get five title defenses, but when you only have one that really stands out and shows how great you are, I think it makes it a little bit harder marketability-wise, fan-wise, to kind of really buy in fully on Israel Adesanya. So it was a good performance. He did what he had to do to win. And that's kind of the best way to describe those title defenses. Did what he had to do. He didn't go out of his way to do anything too crazy. Didn't take any substantial risks. And I get it. Cannoneer's got the one-punch power. I understand. But it's just like, there's this one last thing that I feel like Izzy can unlock to really put himself into like this upper echelon of fighters and star power, name value, so on and so forth. Uh, so it's unfortunate for a guy that is so talented, so good, such a great record. All these title defenses... And again, people can just forget about the performances. That's what this was to me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I feel a lot of, in a lot of ways, I feel similar to you. Um, before I went to bed last night, when I was chatting it up with the fellas, I, well, I made that point about being disappointed that this kind of card that was so big on paper didn't quite deliver because you have so many new potential fans tuning in and then they're kind of like, yeah, I'm probably not going to buy the next. Like it doesn't really keep them coming back. Yeah. And truthfully that's becoming a bit of a trend and it's a, becoming a trend with Israel Adesanya fights in particular. Now I do think Jared Cannonier is kind of be somehow kind of getting not a ton of pushback not a ton of criticism for his performance here, for his part in this fight. Yep. I understand he was a pretty heavy underdog, but you have your lone shot probably you're ever going to get at having UFC gold wrapped around your waist. Yep. And 
he just was content with riding out a decision. I really feel that way. I will admit he had more success than probably, well, than definitely Paulo Costa had. Yeah. More success than Marvin Vittori had. Then he kind of falls squarely behind like Whitaker in the second fight. And, yeah. I mean, I guess behind Yoel Romero, I don't know. That fight didn't happen that, in my eyes. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he did some decent things in rounds three and four with the clinch and, you know, kind of getting up close and personal in Izzy's space, using his strength to kind of hold Izzy up against the fence, landing some dirty boxing that way. But nothing really substantial. Yeah. And outside of that, I mean, he literally just rode out five rounds at a kickboxing range with one of the best strikers the UFC has ever had. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's just not good enough for me. Like, I really thought he was going to go for it. I'm not saying he's got to be stupid and, like... Reckless. I'm not saying he's got to go in there and fight like Drickus Duplessis did in this (laughs) fight. But um, you just expect a little bit more out of a guy who worked so hard to get this title fight, did it the right way, and then he just was content with, like, losing a pretty one-sided decision. I mean, I don't know if it... Some people thought this fight was kind of close. I just did not want those people. I thought it it was four to one. I honestly... Truthfully, I shouldn't even say that. I didn't, I was too tired and bored watching this fight to score it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really give Cannoneer much, if anything, in this fight. Um, but Izzy still deserves some criticism because what did I just say? I mean, look at the, the cards he's headlined. A lot of these fights aren't delivering. Yeah. And yes, the opponent deserves some criticism for that, but... It's a trend for Izzy at this point. That is his reputation. I saw it all over social media. Yep. He is being called MMA's Floyd Mayweather now, which is mm. a huge compliment on one hand, but it's very backhanded in the way yeah. that people are saying it. Yeah. And um, I don't know if that's really a fair comparison to make. Guys, I don't. Floyd Mayweather literally retired 50 and 0. Izzy's already lost. Like, I don't think that that's. I'm not sure if that's really a fair comparison, but I get what people are getting at. That yeah. basically Izzy does what he needs to do to win, and that doesn't mean that it's going to lead to the most action-packed fights. But legacy-wise, he still is building a legacy. I just think, like, compare him to you know GSP. GSP considered one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. GSP had a lot of title defenses, Dom, that weren't the most exciting fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of like his fights with like John Fitch. Um, I don't know who else did he have. A, oh, uh, uh, another who's that wrestler that hangs out with the Diaz brothers? Uh, uh, Shields. Can't, yes, Jake Shields. Thank you. Yeah, that was a really boring fight, and that was like a big one, big card yeah. in Canada. Um, but overall, GSP still is now considered one of the best to ever do it. He's a fan favorite. Yeah. Um, even despite some, you know, iffy title defenses. You know, the Nick Diaz fight wasn't all that great. I don't know if Izzy is going to have that same kind of path. But what I do know is this. 
GSP was very consistently dominant in how he and how he went into fights. You know, yeah. At his best, even if it wasn't the most exciting, it was sort of like what we saw from Volkanovski, which we'll get into. Where yes, it was simply you were amazed at how dominant he was able to be over the other right. game. With Izzy, I feel like he's always holding something back, like he's yeah. being so risk averse because he feels like he's so much better than who he's fighting that he really go out there to put it all out there. Yeah. And um it's just not it's not very fan friendly right now. Things can change, guys. I mean, for all we know the next what's what's going to end up happening is he's going to fight Alex Bahia next, which is a very exciting fight, I must say. It's uh it's going to be a lot of anticipation for that fight. Um if that fight doesn't deliver, then all of a sudden it's like, man. Wow. Yeah. Like, look at how, look at where the path we're going down is uh, not great. Like, we talked about before this fight, Dominic, how we felt like Izzy's stock was at kind of a low point. Not that he's, I mean, he's like one of the biggest stars in the company, one of the biggest draws in the company. But it felt like his title fight here was sort of an afterthought. Yeah. And I don't see how you walk out of this thinking it's going to be any different moving forward. The Bahia fight's pretty good, but then after that, I mean, what is there, you know? Yeah, exactly. This is a guy that is making laps around the division, but still not putting on the performances to quite match that phrase. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying I need Izzy to go out there and just not clean knock out everyone just like Paulo Costa. That's just, you can't expect that going in. That's not good expectations to have. But it's much to what Noah said where the performances are forgettable. He kind of holds something back. If he were to let it all go and have a performance like a Volkanovski last night against Max Holloway, that says so much more. It's just like, if you're not going to go out there and finish them and starch them like you say you're going to, at least show how many levels above you are than them. Because on paper, Izzy is levels above Jared Cannonier, but in that fight last night, nothing was shown for me to believe that. Especially if you mm-hmm. you are a new fan coming in and watching that fight. So yeah, it's like, again, I'm not. you don't need to do all these oohs and ahs and all the crazy stuff. Show me your dominance. Show me why you're the number three pound-for-pound fighter in the world. And a fight like this, again, just doesn't quite show us how good we truly believe and have seen before of Izzy and how good he is. You know You know what's interesting, Dom, is that in a way I somewhat disagree because I feel like I watched that fight last night and my takeaway is that like Izzy is so much better than Jared Cannonier. Like I definitely take that away. But the reason why I know that it's because I go, wow, Izzy is going like 50% here and he's still outclassing Cannoneer. But yep. that's not what you want to see as an MMA fan. At the end of the yeah. day, this is entertainment. Yeah. yeah, like don't get me wrong. He's building a legacy. He is the number three clear pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. But I don't want to watch a guy coast to a victory. Right. Like right. who's so good over his competitors yeah. that he just does enough to get by. Yeah. That's yep. not what you want to pay your money to see. And he deserves a little even more clowning for the fact this guy had the nerve oh. <laughs> to to walk out to the Undertaker's theme song with an urn in hand. 
Yes. With Jared Cannonier's ashes in it, supposedly. And then he goes out there and plays patty cake for five rounds. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Yeah. I saw people I saw people saying, Is this the best walkout of all time? I said, Well, let's pause on that. <laughs> let's see, see yeah. How this fight goes. <laughs> yeah. And then when I saw it, I'm like, this is exactly why. Like anybody who said that was the best walkout of all time looked stupid now, because you just got sold wolf tickets. Yeah. And I may or may not have been one of them. <clears throat> anyway, but you know. But it's an understanding understandable knee reaction because i felt sort of yeah. similar in the moment yeah but then i'm like wait a minute he's got to fight gotta first to see <laughs> yeah like it's not like he just walked out and then they go well raises his hand he won the fight because of the <laughs> yeah. walkout but um, yeah yeah this just was a weird one and it's kind of amazing that izzy is as popular as he is when you consider the fact that like I mean, his rise to the top was strong. Don't get me wrong. Yes, yes. But the title run has been, I mean, not spectacular yeah. <laughs> if you go performance by performance. I mean, I guess performance-wise, you can't take anything away from the dominance, but the fights are under-delivering every time. Yeah. I mean, every. I mean, the Paulo Costa fight, that was on Paulo, right? Izzy goes in there and destroys him. A lot of people thought Paulo might be kind of a good match for Izzy. Yeah. Didn't show through. That's on Paulo. He showed up wine drunk, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you follow well, you before that, you had the UL Romero fight. Both guys deserve criticism for that one. I mean, that fight was terrible. Yeah. After Paulo, you have the whole Jan Blahovich light heavyweight thing, which wasn't a great fight. But Izzy loses, gets kind of, kind of, I mean, outworked for yeah. five rounds. It's kind of easy. That I guess a much bigger guy, kind of a de- weird detour in the story here. But then he goes back, fights Marvin Vittori in a rematch. Vittori does his job at kind of talking to talk beforehand, but then the fight takes place and kind of got showed out. Lackluster fight. Yeah. And then you had the Whitaker rematch, which was very. I was very excited for that fight. And it was okay. I mean, it was... At best, you can say it was competitive. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it was exactly thrilling. Right. Like, ever since Izzy fought Kelvin Gastelum and was taken to the brink to where he said, I'm willing to die, I haven't seen that same Izzy that's been willing to die since then. That's a good point. So it's an odd title reign, like especially when you're looking at the. There's not a ton of like long reigning champions, but you have Kamara Usman, you have Volkanovski, you have Valentina. Um, those are the longest reigning champions. I mean, Amanda's still a champ at featherweight. So like when you do look at all those long reigns that we've been seeing, I mean, Izzy's doesn't stand out compared to the others. But his name value and star power, you lead you to believe he should be number one at the top of that list. He's got Drake. FaceTiming him, put a milli on him. You know, yeah. he's like he is one of the biggest draws in the company, and I don't see that changing. It feels like he's in that spot. He just feels that he's in a tough spot, but all he has to do is just, I mean, really, if he honestly sticks to his guns, like a lot of times it kind of is, he needs the matchup to bring it out of him. That's true. You know what I mean? It's true. Alex yeah. Pajera. That's what I'm going to kind of transition into here. It seems pretty clear we're going to get him versus Alex Pajara next, who was 
on this card. He knocked out Sean Strickland in the feature bout. Do you think Alex Pajara could be the guy to bring out that Izzy that was willing to die in the cage? Maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. Because it's not like Pajara's guns a-blazing in his three fights so far. Like, against right. Sean Strickland, he was very patient, but found the shot. And that's all it took. Found that, the opening, he's a, right. He's a powerful motherfucker. But with Izzy, he's so good at striking, will he even allow an opening to be there for Alex? So if Alex can't find an opening and he doesn't press forward, I don't see Izzy pressing forward. I think it could be Dahl. I don't want it to be, but I think it could be. I I really do. I get No, I get it. I I completely understand that. And that's a fight that I have a hard time seeing a finish in right now as we speak. Like, Pahaya, yes, he does have the knockout over Izzy, but um, I don't know. The the age difference now, like, you know, Pahaya's quite, you know, a decent amount older. Um, Izzy seems to be in the prime. I, I, I think Pajara could give him a good fight, but again, is it when I say a good fight, I think it could be very competitive, but I'm not exactly anticipating a thrilling affair. Yeah, I, I think, and you have to kind of think that way right now. I, I think you do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a believe it when we see it with Izzy right now. Now, again, yeah. it seems like he's here to stay as a, as a draw, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if it's... It, like, this pay-per-view probably sold really well. Just because it was International Fight Week, there was a lot of um, yeah. mar- a lot of marketing behind it. But, like, I don't think his rematch with Whitaker sold, like, super well. Right. right. Like, it feels like since the Paulo Costa fight, where that one did, like, 700,000, like, crazy high for someone outside of the Connor, yeah. Jorge, Nate, you know. Since then, it feels like it's only gone down. Like, I feel like the Blahovich fight sold well, but then, like, the Vittori fight, I don't remember selling that well. This Whitaker fight didn't. And this one, I mean, I'm sure it did. But who's going to walk away from this being super into the idea of watching an Adesanya fight next? I just don't think a lot of people will. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy to have to have this conversation about someone we know. <laughs> no, we know how good he is. Just, yeah, I feel like there's going to be some Izzy fans that are pretty annoyed at us for kind of focusing on this, but I don't see how you can't because we know how good he is, how dominant he is. We've seen it, but I don't think you know. I just we're at the end of the day we're fans of the sport. Yeah, like we're fans of this. We want to be entertained. You cannot tell me you watched that fight last night and were entertained by it or anybody. Yeah, yeah. Me and my dad were sitting there like bobbing heads, you know, the whole time. <laughs> like just yeah. waiting for something to happen. Right, and you know, again, he's not the only one deserving of criticism. I think Cannoneer might deserve even more, yeah. but you can't deny the trend at this point. That yeah. is he, whether it's because of how he fights and just the way he neutralizes his opponents. Sure, that might be kind of like a Floyd Mayweather did in boxing for so long. He was so defensively sound that, but offensively he just wasn't ever delivering any fireworks for the most part. Yeah. Izzy is not necessarily that, but he does seem to neutralize his opponents to the point where they're ineffective basically anywhere. Yeah. But he's ultimately not making up for that lack of, uh, that lack of sh- exciting offense 
on his own, and he's totally capable of doing it. It's just, yep. uh, it's just at this point, it's a believe it when we see it, you know. Yeah. Yep. But still, nothing but respect. Number three best in the world, I would say right now. And oh, and it's not uh, up for debate either. And he doesn't yeah. seem to be slowing down. I mean, he's five title defenses in, thirty-two yeah. years old. Yeah. The middleweight division is not one of the stronger divisions. There was a lot of middleweights on this card, so we yes. have a lot to talk about with them. And there are some exciting guys kind of on their way up. But, you know, if he gets through, Pajara's an interesting fight. But after that, who's next for a Someone while? Someone else you know? has to like jump maybe. out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and obviously we'll have time to figure that out. But uh, for now, I guess we'll leave it there. Um any thoughts, I guess, did you have any thoughts on Karen, kind of what's next for him? I, I don't. I really don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. But uh, co-main event. Co-main event. We saw the trilogy bout between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, and it goes the full 25 minutes again. These guys mm. have Crazy. spent 75 minutes in an octagon together. And Max, unfortunately is on the wrong side of the decision again. But this time, there's no controversy, Dom. Nope. Alexander Volkanovsky sweeps the cards. He puts on a master class on his way to proving he is the best featherweight in the world. I almost put best featherweight of all time, but Dominic, the majority of people online still think it's Jose Aldo, so I, I couldn't use your soundbite from... Friday, I hope you understand. You're but, fine. Because uh, <laughs> I don't want people getting mad at us. Really, what we're here to do is to just shower Volkanovski yeah. with with a lot of love here. Because yeah. Alexander Volkanovski is clearly on his way to being the fighter of the year. Yep. He has going to. He is potentially going to be on our nominees for performance of the year twice. Yeah, that His would be first a first. two performances. That that would be a first, and hopefully, I mean, not hopefully, I should say, but probably not many times after that are we going <laughs> to see something like that. Um, so he's he he is literally, if you went off the performances of this year, he's the best fighter in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. Now I know Kamaru Usman still deservedly number one, but he is carrying twenty twenty two on his shoulders when it comes to the highest level of MMA, you know, is he disappointing in the main event? Mm -hmm. You know, him and Whitaker kind of having a meh fight. Like right now, when it comes to high level MMA, this is the guy you point to Alexander Volkanovsky. You're telling your friends, tune in to this guy. He made the Korean zombie look his age and then some, Mm -hmm. and in here, he made Max Holloway look perhaps the oldest he's ever looked, even though he's only 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I am stunned at just how I knew it was a possibility just because of how much these two guys have improved since their last fight. Yeah. I knew there was a could do something like this, but I'm just so shocked that really Max had nothing for him. Nothing. Nothing. Literally for five rounds got out, pointed out, beat. I mean, he beat him anywhere and everywhere. He was always covered. Offensively, he was over. Master strikes. 
He was hitting his spots quicker. He, I mean, it, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen in a title fight. There you go. There's the bomb. There's the mic drop. Dominic, your takeaways, you, <laughs> Friday, you were wearing a lot of Max Holloway garb. Mm-hmm. Um, so being that you you had kind of a dog in this fight, even though you do you are big, you, total respect to Volkanovski. Yes. I know you feel that way, but as being a big Max Holloway fan, how did this one stomach for you? And kind of what were your takeaways while watching? It was tough. It was definitely sad. Kind of just a somber moment. You sit there, you're like, huh? It, Max is Max is great, but Alex is just that much greater you know that that was what this was volkanovsky is the hardest puzzle to piece together to solve in the ufc right now he's 12 and 0 in the ufc he's won 22 straight fights in a row if you go outside of the ufc coming all the way in it's unbelievable how good he is and it continues to get better and better and better and better. It's unbelievable. The title reign that he's putting together, the performances that he's starting to put together, the respect that he is finally earning. Um, it's just great. It's great to be able to witness something like this. Uh, it's truly greatness in front of our eyes here. He's becoming one of the all-time best featherweights. Obviously, he's top three. He's going to be becoming one of the all-time greats in the sport if he keeps going on a pace like this. So as a Max fan, it was hard. Hard pill to swallow, but again, like Noah said, you kind of knew this was a possibility because of just all the time that they've had spent together. And while both have gotten better since the rematch um, in July of 2020, Alexander has just gotten even more so. So, uh, yeah, it was just quite the performance. Again, like two performance of the year contenders back to back by the same guy in title defenses. It's just he's in a level of his own right now. He he really is. Yeah. And he's shutting down this 145-pound division. It's crazy. I mean, he, he completely has it by the balls right now. Like, there's yeah. just no, yes. there's yeah. no other way to put it. I mean, you beat Max Holloway three times, and nobody can beat Max Holloway besides you. Exactly. <laughs> Not to mention when you fight Brian Ortega or Korean Zombie. Yeah. You are outclassing them. Yeah. For the majority of the fight, it's this guy is like you said in a league of his own, and each time out, it's like there's something new. There's a new wrinkle. Yes. Or there's just there's just a new like there's something just added to the table. And this one had to be the, the speed, right? Had to be. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, like it felt like it gets the zombie. It was the power, the precision, and here it was more of the speed, the the ability to get into the pocket and get out without taking really any shots yes. from Max Holloway. Um, in a lot of ways, Dom, like I know it hurts as a Max fan, but I almost feel like it was an easier pill to swallow that it was truly just the best Volkanovski you'll probably ever see, and yeah. he got swept than it being like a super razor-thin close fight that you yeah. could maybe argue for Max, and then he doesn't get the nod again. Like, I feel You're like right. that's a harder pill to swallow. So this was the kind of fight, if we weren't going to see a finish, and if Max wasn't going to win, the only way this fight could go 
elite MMA gods <laughs> to to finally set these two apart for a while. Yes. Because yes. we could not afford another razor thin close decision that could have went either way where there's controversy. Because, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I'm not against seeing a fourth fight if it's deserving Moreno Figgy, you know. Right. Hopefully, still going to see that. But when you got a guy up 2 0, if he would have went up 3 0, it's like eventually you just kind of want to see these two go their separate ways. Like, how many times does Volkanovsky have to pass the same test according to the judges who scored the fight? Um, here, I think he slaughtered the beast. I think he slayed yep. the dragon. Um, he is now in a league of his own. He is in. He is firmly the number two featherweight of all time. Uh, maybe, just maybe, huh. there's a conversation to be had for him to be number one. But let's talk about what's next for these two, Dominic. Mm-hmm. Volkanovski said afterwards, he's looking to move up for that vacant. I hate to say the vacant lightweight <laughs> title of the world. Yeah. He is looking to become a two-division champion and even said, Dominic, that he would keep both divisions active if he Love were that. to win that title. So I'm curious, do you really buy in that he could do that? And if so, then what's the timetable you think for us seeing that fight? Yeah, so when people go for double champ status, if they say that they're willing to go back and forth and do both, I say go out and prove it if I'm the UFC. Give them the opportunity to do so. And if they live up, they live up. And I think Alexander would absolutely do that. And Alexander Volkanovsky's next fight, which seemingly should be the end of the year. He should get a third one in, I would imagine. Guy's barely been touched in 50 minutes of fighting this year, which is crazy. He needs to fight for the 155-pound title in his next fight. So, what does that mean? Well, it could mean he goes and fights for the vacant belt. Again, terrible wording. Hate that it's vacant because it technically is, but it's awful. Champion has a name, right? Charles Oliveira. But um, if he gets that over Islam, like if they do Charles versus Volkanovski, or I even saw, I think it was, um, who's the guy? Aaron Bronstetter. I think he tweeted... Uh, what's everybody's thoughts on if they do Volkanovski Makachev if the UFC can't come to terms with Oliveira? I don't really know how all that is. I know Charles is expressing interest in fighting Connor, but I feel like he wants the belt. So I don't know if there's actually like problems getting him back in the cage this year. I but regardless, uh, I would see Volk versus Oliveira before I see Volk versus Islam, just like what the UFC would do. But maybe I'm maybe I'm off. But regardless, and if they do choose to do Oliveira, Makachev next, that's fine. That Those are the two guys that should be fighting, at least at, at, in the late lightweight weight class for the belt. But if Volt gets in over either one of them, you're not going to hear any complaints from me. Because, again, regardless if it's for the vacant title or he's going up against one of them and their title defense, that's what happens next for Alexander Volkanovsky. 155-pound title shot. 55-pound, sorry. Forgot the second five. <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's possible for him to defend both titles like simultaneously. These are two of the most stacked divisions in the entire company. Mm-hmm. There's no way that he'll be able to sustain going back and forth. And honestly, I don't want that. If he goes up to lightweight, then I hope he's making a commitment to the lightweight division and 
gives up the featherweight title. I'm oh, just being honest. Man. Really? Because, Dominic, you were talking about two of the most stacked divisions in the company. Do you really want to, like, have a... Like, don't get me wrong. I'm fine with him going for it. But just be about it. Go up to lightweight if you're really going to stick at lightweight. If you're only going up there to prove you can win a second belt, then I have no interest. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say I have no interest. But I would be, in hindsight, looking back, I'd feel like it's a waste of time. Because it's just like... Okay, you went up there and kind of fucked up another division, and now you're back to your old stomping grounds. If, because, like, what are we really going to see here, Dom? If he if he goes in there and let's say he fights Charles in November, December, Mm -hmm. uh, for the lightweight title, let's say he wins, the UFC is going to. I mean. The featherweight title is going to need to be defended in what two, three months. I mean, you got to keep the divisions moving. I don't want to get to a point where we're seeing. I, I understand it's possible either way, but like even if you have a guy that's only a, the, the winner or only the champion of one division, you still might see six months in between title defenses or more if they get injured or whatever. Mm-hmm. But ideally. You know, if they if they want a featherweight title fight in February, I want a guy who's a champion that's going to be able to fulfill that. I don't mm-hmm. want Volkanovski to potentially be injured from his lightweight title fight and unable to compete. And then we're going to have to get, you know what this is going to lead to, Dom? A lot of interim titles. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great on paper. I love that Volkanovski wants to do it, but I hate what it could potentially mean. <laughs> If they really let him just like go back and forth, I think it's a terrible choice. I think it's a terrible idea to let him go back and forth. If he goes up there, you strip him of the featherweight title. Oh man, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm curious. I want to hear what you. I want to hear your rebuttal. I want to hear. I I would hate to see a guy that has wiped a division clean be stripped for chasing second or i hope or i hope he would relinquish it i don't know i just even then i don't want him to give it up i if you're gonna if he is if there's gonna be a new champion at 145 someone's gotta beat alexander volkanovsky that's what i um and i get it i i agree with you like that's what i want to see that's the preferable thing here i just don't think maybe for if he goes up and fights charles I'm not saying it has to be right away. Like maybe he goes and fights one more time at featherweight, or fights at featherweight. Then he has one more fight at lightweight. He is going to need to commit to a division if, uh, to be a champion of a division. If you want to go back and forth, you know Anderson Silva kind of yeah. mixed it up and a couple times, but that's just because he had done such a good job of cleaning out house. I mean, I I think that Volkanovski still has some matchups. At featherweight, yes, I mean, he is on his way to clearing house for sure. And you're going to have a hard time believing, I'm going to have a hard time believing that uh, any of these guys are going to have a chance against him, really. But I just don't like the idea of, sure, he's probably earned a chance to go for the champ champ status. But what do we always see with these guys when they um, they usually relinquish or get stripped of the other belt? Because you can't, it's not sustainable. These are two of the most active, action-packed 
talented rosters, there needs to be two different champions. It's just it's not sustainable. Yeah, I understand. I understand. And that's the last thing you do want in two great divisions is for any sort of holdup. In the ideal world, there is enough time to where yeah. one defense per year solidify, you know, is good enough. One defense per weight class per oh, year as a double champion. No, I disagree completely. No, I'm saying that's the type completely. of state you need the divisions to be in for it to be sustainable as a double champion. I don't agree with that either. I don't agree. Like, I think you have to have multiple title defenses in a division each year to be to be like in a good place. No, I know that. I'm saying if he's going to do it, the division has to be in such a state where there's only one new guy that emerges. Oh, okay. So if he's wanting I, to go back and forth. Because when okay, Amanda – Amanda's sorry. been the most successful at this. We realize right, that. Right. But featherweight, one a year was fine, if that. Because there was just yeah. wasn't competition in bantamweight. She and what's funny is what's funny years. is it felt like she was getting more featherweight challengers than bantamweight for a while because bantamweight yeah. just wasn't nobody was standing out. Exactly. So yeah, it, I just think I I think that's why I think it's just going to be hard for someone to replicate right. that in, those in two these weight, weight classes. Class. Exactly. If yeah. someone like like if Davison decided to go up the bantamweight. Like I could see him being able because flyweight, even though it's very talented, not the most, uh, not deep. the most um, deep of rosters. Yeah. So there's just less guys. So I could see someone at flyweight moving up the bantamweight. You saw Henry do that. He defended yeah. both. Like it's possible to maybe maybe for one title defense in each division, but then eventually he's going to have to commit. He's just yes. and he's probably more of a featherweight. And then a lightweight, so lightweight probably wouldn't be a long term. I mean, I think he's serious about what he's saying. I just don't think in practice that's really how it ends up happening. Yeah. Yes. But let me put my conspiracy theory out there. <laughs> Please tell everyone because you told us last night. <clears throat> I've been on this one for a while. I might have even said it on the podcast before, but I can't remember. I feel like I've told you it before before last night, but I could be wrong even stronger about it today <laughs> yeah so so my conspiracy theory i had been wondering why we had not gotten a charles Oliveira versus islam makachev lightweight title fight announcement now dana white keeps saying that he likes the banana dare which is great it is a great fight but then you look around at the other top contenders you go but who's going to be in the title fight if it's not islam or Benil? <laughs> Because the rest of the top, you have Dustin Poirier, who we have already seen him lose to uh, Charles back in December. Hasn't fought since. Uh, mm-hmm. He just beat Justin Gaethje. Um, Michael Chandler did have that amazing knockout over Tony Ferguson, but we just saw that fight with him and Charles a year ago. Yep. I don't think we need to see that again. Um, who am I missing there, Dom? I mean, that's 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 everybody. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's your top of the division right now. And then you have Islam and Benil, who are the two yep. new kind of guys to put into a title fight. But Dana seems interested in putting them together. And if they're serious about wanting Charles to fight, Charles is wanting to fight before the end of the year. So this whole Conor McGregor going to get a title fight thing, Conor's not fighting this year. I'm just saying. It's not, it's not going to happen. He may, he may fight early next year. 
But there's no, I have no doubt in my mind we will not see him in 2022. So if Charles is serious about wanting to fight in October in Abu Dhabi or November or December, because I heard they might be trying to do a Brazil card in December or something, mm. then it's either you do the Islam fight or you know, probably Islam at this point, or you wait you wait to see what happens at International Fight Week because there is a guy who has been talking about wanting to move up in Alexander Volkanovsky, who is a dominant featherweight champion. See how that fight goes and then make your choice. Yep. So I think the UFC watched that fight very closely. And I think after what we saw Saturday, you have going to be committed to getting Charles versus Alex for the vacant lightweight title. And we're going to see yeah. Islam versus Benil probably in October in Abu Dhabi, I would say. Some people might not be happy about that, but I think that is why the UFC had held off on making any sort of decision. And I think that's why Dana, when he has talked about it, has been so keen on this matchup between two guys who would be the two guys to put in a title fight right now because I think they've had their eye on Volkanovski in that lightweight title fight. I think that's the fight you get. Those are the two fights you get. And then the winners will hopefully fight sometime in the spring. The tinfoil hat has been on. <laughs> Call me Alex Jones, motherfucker. I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. They're putting something in the water. It's turning the frogs gay. You know, I'm out. I'm just out of here, man. I'm just... Right. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Max Holloway, Dom, because... This is a... He, he is in a tough spot here. Very. Very. This is th- three losses in as many tries against the champion of the division. He is the former champion of the division. He seems to destroy anybody who is not Alexander Volkanovsky in this division. You look at the performances against Calvin Cater, Brian Ortega, um, Rodriguez. There's just a lot of these guys that he is kind of running through. And if you're the UFC, you have a decision to make on, well, if you have a guy like Josh Emmett, right? Josh Emmett seems pretty primed to be a potential title contender. Like he's, a fresh matchup. He's got a decent winning streak. Good resume. He seems like a guy you might throw in there in a pinch to Volkanovski right now. Yeah. But do you risk losing him by putting him in a main event with Max Holloway and then Max potentially disposes of him the same way he has your other guys? Yeah. So, I think Max is going to be moving up here, Dom. What do you think? I think first quarter of 2023, Max returns against someone else returning to the UFC. I think him I and Conor McGregor it. fight. Yeah. Okay. I do. I'm not super confident, but that's what I feel is most. That's what's most realistic for Max. I'll put it that way. Conor always is going to have options. Hmm. We get it, right? But to Noah's point for featherweight, the UFC knows how good Max is. But if you want fresh blood and new contenders, you don't want Max to fight any of these guys because he'll likely beat them, and then they don't get in there for a title shot. Yeah. But we've seen him at lightweight once. Granted, it was kind of 
not like a full commitment, but he went up for the uh, interim belt against Dustin Poirier. Good fight, but got bested pretty clearly by Dustin in that fight. So now, what I've always said about Max, because I do feel like it's inevitable that he goes back to lightweight, if he's going to do it, we need a full commitment, prepare the body, build the body, get it ready for the 155-pound weight class. So I think that's what will come next. I don't think we see him again this year. He needs a break anyways after a fight like this with so much damage. And I think we see him at lightweight. I think it's against Connor because I feel like that's the most realistic option for him. Do you want to give Matt, put Max in there against like a contender at lightweight? Like I get it if you do, but at the same time, I feel like him and Connor's just so much more perfect for more reasons. Just and they're two very big names, but Connor has so many options. It's kind of crazy what can come next for him. But that's what I'm going to do right now. First quarter, 2023, Max at lightweight. I think against Connor, but maybe against a contender. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's possible. Possible we see Max before the end of the year at featherweight. I think he may do one more fight in that division. Maybe he uh, headlines against like an Arnold Allen. Someone at the UFC might be comfortable with kind of risking. Someone who's like not going to be like a big star, necessarily big draw. So you might be like, okay, we can risk an Arnold Allen and maybe he'll go out there and shock everybody and beat Max Holloway. Um What's more likely is I think we won't see him the rest of the year, and I think he'll start the transition to lightweight the the right yeah. way. Um, the timetable would lead up to a potential Connor fight, but I don't know. I don't. I I just have a hard time believe. Like I, we've talked so much about potential Connor fights. I know, dude. <laughs> at one time or another, we thought that this is the fight to make, and then this is the fight to make, and yeah. I don't think Connor's going back down to lightweight. So I don't That's think true. that him and Max is going to happen. Um, I, you may not like this one because you were talking about lightweight contenders, but I could see there was another guy who came out and said that he's going to have surgery here very soon and then make one last run yeah. at the lightweight title. And I think him and Justin Gaethje would be a, an absolute barn burner of a fight. Yeah, You have the power of Gaethje the precision and just output of Max yes. Holloway. Yeah. Two guys with granite chins. I mean, it's a sick fight, dude. I tell yeah, I, I literally have on record on the show said Connor won't be back at one fifty five, And what do I do today? I fucking matchmaking for one fifty five. but yeah, <laughs> I mean, would he go back if the money was right for a max fight? You know, if the, if the True. people called for it, would he go back? You know, maybe, but yeah, man, this is a guy I mean, that used to make he used to make one forty five. I mean, he, yeah, he's. I don't think he's really interested in like a brutal weight cut. But yeah, um, I don't know, man. He just seems that it just the the whole idea of him going to lightweight just becomes less and less realistic in my head. Dude, he's got to be like one hundred ninety, two hundred pounds right now. He just looks massive. But yeah, yeah. him and Holloway and Gaethje is sick. And you know, if you look at it and Holloway were to win, now he's a top three lightweight in the world, which is crazy in itself to even think about that as a possibility. So we'll see. There's There are a lot of options, but at the same time, not a ton, you know what I mean? It, it's very, very weird spot to be Max Holloway right now. I'll be curious how Max is kind of viewing things because if I'm being honest, like 
Max may want to watch and see what Volkanovski does and just kind of let him, like, if Volkanovski commits to going to lightweight and staying there, then he probably stays at featherweight and tries to regain his title. But I don't think that's really what's going to happen, even if Volkanovski kind of tries to do the back and forth. Um, Max Holloway has to kind of realize that I don't know how much time he has left as, like, one of the top of the sport. I mean, he don't get me wrong. He's still, regardless of what happens Saturday, he's the second best featherweight in the world and one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Yeah. But if he goes up to lightweight, I don't know if I love some of those matchups with Matos Gamrot and Armand Saryukian and, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those killers that are coming up. And if he sticks at featherweight, Volkanovski might just... He might never get a shot title again. So he's in a yeah. tough spot. It's a really tough spot. Very. And uh, truthfully, whichever decision he makes, it may be kind of a decision we look back on and go, oh, he didn't make the right choice. It kind of ruined the rest of his career. Like, that's really what's at stake here for him. Yeah. Like, I feel like the decision he makes is going to be the one that he sticks with for the rest of his UFC career. And I just don't know which one's the right call. I don't. Yeah, it's vital. It is. <clears throat> Next up, Don, let's talk about the PFL. More on UFC 276 to come. We're actually talking about the whole card briefly, but we're going to talk about the whole card. <laughs> uh, PFL Week 6, women's lightweights, the welterweights, they all were vying for their playoff positions. Dominic, I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask you every week. What was... The big standout here from PFL Week 6, it could be a positive fight, a negative fight, or it could be a good performance or bad performance, something that's, excuse me, stood out to you from Friday's. Hmm. What stood out to me most? You know what? I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to probably do Larissa Pacheco getting another first-round finish. That's all she does is destroy people in the first round by knockout. She did it to Jenna Fabian, by the way, which is, I think that's a pretty big statement win to do at least get her out of there quickly like that. She's the number one seed. Yes, she's faced Kayla twice. Yes, she's lost to Kayla twice. But she still, she presents a danger that you just can't ignore, and it is the power that she possesses. So it's good on her. By the way, I mean, again, she got the number one seed here. You know, I know the point system's weird, whatever, but she did better, you know, than Kayla Harrison did. So it, it it puts a little bit more intrigue in that potential matchup happening a third time. But I just think it's been a great year for her, a very big statement year. She she storms through people that aren't named Kayla Harrison. So, I mean, really, there's nothing else on this card that was that crazy because even the other big takeaways, they don't even make the fucking playoffs. So I'm going to go with Larissa. <laughs> Did you, I, I, did you like me shaking my head while you were saying that this that. made that fight more interesting? I thought I was like, I'm glad that it didn't uh, throw you off. I'm glad you were. You were very on Dead point fast. right there. You, yeah. Yes. Um, I just can't believe you picked a women's lightweight, and it wasn't Kayla. I'm just like kind of in shock about that. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I fully respect you as my co-host. I just think that. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. I'm just kidding. Honestly, Dom, I'm actually surprised that you gave it to Larissa because I feel like Martina Jindrova is mm. potentially the most interesting one here because she's Kayla's first-round matchup. She did have yep. a pretty big performance on Friday. 
don't think she's going to win, but it's a fresh matchup for Kayla. So that kind <laughs> right, of, <laughs> right. We like the I mean, fresh. I mean, Kayla will be a minus 4,500, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> props. Right. My big standout is going to be, we saw Magomed, Magomed, Karimov, and Ray Cooper third have big bounce back performances, but it wasn't enough, Dom. <laughs> for <laughs> nothing. Enough. For it was all for nothing. Neither of them make the playoffs. That means we will have a new champion and a new runner-up for the welterweight division. True. So um, I did. I did tweet that. Uh, I know Dominic liked the tweet, but obviously he didn't read it because <laughs> I he, think that's he, two weeks in a row. <laughs> I <just> surprised. <laughs> but um, yeah, like Ray Cooper the third TKO'd Brett Cooper in twenty-four seconds. I mean, what a bounce back for him. Yeah. And then Magomed, Magomed Karimov had the tougher opponent. Delano Taylor, who was vying for a playoff spot, was in the playoffs as of this fight. And he got the second round TKO. Unfor- it's more unfortunate for Magomed Karimov because his uh-huh. was like a pullout for like injury or something. Yeah. And if literally, if, 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 so- if, if Sadabu Sai did not get that win, he was in the playoffs. Yep. Sadabu Sai getting that win over Rory McDonald is what got him kicked out of the playoffs. So that had to be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. It just, to me, that was the big standout. It was like he had these two awesome performances for two guys that it's like, well, see you next season, boys. <laughs> that's, that's the PFL <laughs> right there. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, yeah, and also Rory just, like, looked flatter. I mean, he looked flatter than the earth. I mean, it was uh, crazy, Dom, just how – that he came out so flat here and Sadabu side to his credit, just he it was it was all about damage. Rory was very content with the clinch and putting him up against the fence, but Sai just landing the more damaging blows. And we've seen if we understand judging criteria, which two guys right here that you know can tell you all about the judging criteria, we know it like the back of our hand. Um I think it was judged fairly. I thought Sadabu Sai did get the more damaging shots in all three rounds, and that's the way the cookie crumbles, right? Yeah, and one question, just because okay. we had this discussion about Anthony going into the Stevie Ray fight, yeah. um, where you were like, you know, Steve, um, for Pettis, you could see him, he's already kind of locked in the playoff spot. Will we see him kind of go for broke? Will he fight? Will he coast? So on and so forth. Do you think any of that played a factor for Rory, knowing that he was already in regardless? Just like, well, if I lose, I'm still in. Just I don't want to get finished. And obviously, I'm not saying he just went out there and didn't try to win. I'm just saying, was he holding back some just because he knew, hey, I mean, I'm in the playoffs, you know? Honestly, it's a great question to ask because I hit that point so hard for Anthony yeah. Pettis. And I didn't really touch on that here, and I wasn't really prepared for that. But that is very much what probably happened. I mean – Watch if you watch the fight. I mean, that was a guy that just really was not interested. In... He was he was very content with just doing bare minimum, basically. Yeah, and you know, I I can't blame the guy because again, he's yeah. fighting for a million dollars at the end of yeah. the day. But uh, that's funny that you brought that up because I hit that point so many times with Pettis, and then Pettis actually came out and looked like he was trying to yeah. win his fight. And here I didn't even touch on it, and that was about the flattest performance I've ever seen from Rory McDonald. And yeah, but for Rory, man, it's so weird. Ever since that war with um, 
Robbie Lawler, he just he left a little piece of himself in there. And oh yeah, he had a oh, decent yeah. run in Bellator. Don't get me wrong, but you know this was the guy that was looked at as the next GSP at one point. You know, he's yep. from Canada, trained with GSP and Faraz Sahavi for a long time. Um, he just he kind of hit his peak early and has now kind of. You know, he's hovering at like a, as like a decent fighter, but he's, I don't know, you just, I keep wanting to, him more than he pet disappointed by because I keep thinking he has more left. And also, he hasn't accomplished what Anthony has accomplished in the sport, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. like, it's kind of a shame that it feels like Rory sort of just hit his peak too soon fell just short of winning a UFC title and now may never recover to the point where he is at that level again. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but as it stands, Rory is your number one seed at welterweight, so he will be taking on number four, Magomed... How am I going to say this name? Yumalatov. Who had a big knockout, right? I'm pretty sure had a big knockout. Yeah, forget who he, I forget who he knocked out, but yes. I was I think it was Jarrell Al Salawi who I yes, was excited to watch, it. and then he got knocked the fuck out. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, also, we'll see Sadabu Sai as the number two seed taking on number three seed Carlos Leal. So Carlos Leal, funny enough, he was on this card when we previewed it, and then by the time the fight came around, his opponent had pulled out. And he got an automatic three points because of that. So thank God for that. Yeah. So Carlos Leal is still in the playoffs. He only fought once. This this welterweight division's been a mess this season. <laughs> yeah. But I actually like the matchup. Sadabu side, Carlos Leal, that'll be fun. So yeah, I'm I excited agree. about that. Women's lightweight, Larissa Pacheco, as you mentioned, number one seed, number four, Elena Kolesnik. I don't know who that is, but good Godspeed. And then Kayla Harrison is your two seed, taking on number three, Martina Jandrova. I'm at least excited to just see Kayla get a fresh matchup. That's all I can say. Yep. It really is all you can say. I agree. Yep. Uh, let's talk about the fight announcements. I'm probably going to skip one of these. Angela Hill, <laughs> Dom, is going to be taking on Lupe Godinez on October 15th. That's the day after my sister's birthday. So happy early birthday, to my sister, but uh, yes. <laughs> what do you think of this fight, Lupe Godinez, the former LFA women's flyweight champion? She's had a pretty fun run so far in the UFC, and now she's taken on one of the most fun fighters in the division, and Angela Hill. And I said fly, I said flyweight. I think strawweight was straw what I was looking for there. Um, I love it. I love it. You sent this to me and said you loved it. I love it. Um, Lupe all signs point toward a future title contender at 115 pounds for me, for Loopy. That's how good I really believe she is. And what better way to introduce yourself into the top 15 than have to try and beat Angela Hill, regardless of what her record is and how many losses she has. There's no one that grinds and fights better, harder fights than Angela Hill. She will go up against anybody. doesn't care what your name is. If you got a number next to your name or not, um, and that's why she will always have my ultimate respect. This is a very, very hard fight for Angela, but not an easy fight for Loopy to introduce herself to the top 15. Checks all the boxes for me. Well said. Let's move on to tidbits. Tidbits. So Daniel Cormier got inducted into UFC Hall of Fame on Friday. <laughs> my guess is that Dominic did not watch. because No, he I saw. Watch anything. I saw. He doesn't watch anything for the tidbits. I'm two so, for two uh, on tidbits, finally. 
Okay, so Daniel Cormier admitted in his speech, Dom, to holding the towel to make weight for a title fight against Anthony Johnson, the whole towel gate. Uh, he yeah. denied it for years. He has admitted it now. There was a few people, people who I respect in the community, who were very upset at this. Um, I'm curious where you fall. Do you really care? Like, is it really that big of a deal? It is odd. I saw someone tweet and say, uh, it was one of the journalists I follow. I can't remember. Was Was it something about the Olympics? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. I respect that guy, but I thought he he pulled a little bit of a, like, Karen, I felt like, on the whole thing. Uh, I did, initially, I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, holy shit, this is funny. Getting the crowd going, Hall of Fame. Here you go. Spilling all the beans. But then, the longer I've sat on it, I'm like, hmm. But, I mean, to be fair, we already knew that happened. I didn't need Daniel that's to really admit That's exactly to it. how I feel. You know what I'm I like, mean? So I didn't need him to admit to it because I knew that's what he did. That's so, the commission's fault for not catching it. Yeah, so that's what's keeping me from really being like, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't funny. I knew he did it. So it's like, eh. Have your fun, Daniel. The only thing, the only thing I will say is like, can we please just give Charles's belt back? Like, yeah, I did see someone say that as well, and I couldn't agree more. I I mean, Daniel, like we knew Daniel Cormier missed weight by like a pound and a half. Yes, came back ten minutes later and made weight. Like, I'm sorry, but who thought that he did that? Like, righteously. I mean, just that. I thought it was funny. The fight happened in 2017. Like. Also true. <laughs> but I get the point. Like, I'm, I shouldn't have said he went Karen. I mean, he was more so just trying to, like, make a point. Like, he wasn't he wasn't all that angry about it. He just was saying, like, kind of weird how people... Like, the UFC's own Twitter was, like, joking yes. about it. Yes, right. kind of weird. But, you know, it's Daniel Cormier, man. He's, he's the man. He's a legend. Yeah. So, true. Last one... Uh, I, this one I had to wake up to this morning. This Same. was to happen. This happened. I think this kind of went out there about uh, after dark. You know, in the two thirties, where the the late the, the late night owls stay up till. Nate Diaz was being interviewed by a Nelk boy, and he smacked him up. <laughs> he he uh, smacked him twice. <laughs> apparently, this uh, this Nelk fella had uh, been tweeting about one of the, his boys. Um, can't remember the, the fighter's name now. Um, oh, what a bit of would it have been about Maximov potentially? Yes, Nick Maximov. Yeah. He was tweeting some disparaging things about Nick Maximov. Nate Diaz said, "Come correct or don't come at all," and smacked him away. So, what did you think about that? Uh, you, you don't fuck with a Diaz brother. They're as authentic <laughs> as they present themselves to be. It's that simple. Um, so, yeah, I actually on Friday I had saw that. Obviously, a lot of people know the Nelk boys and whatnot, but they just started like an MMA full sin kind of partnership or not partnership, but like uh, branching off, you know, mm-hmm. so they have this was like their first full sin journalist to cover MMA specifically. He was at the press conference and stuff Thursday and Friday. So this is the guy. And I, I don't know how the interview went, but I did see the smacks. And again, like the Diaz army is loyal to one another. They back their boys. You don't, you fuck with one of them. You're going to get all of us coming back at you. And that's what it is right here. So respect to Nate Diaz as always. Yeah. This makes me more, this is why I'm never going to interview fighters because I'm going to end up interviewing like Jessica. Lauren Murphy. Or yeah. Lauren Murphy. Yeah. And they're going to beat the shit out of me. So. Right. 
This is why you'll never see me interview a fighter. I mean, I don't, I don't know what this guy said. I'm going to assume that I was more um, nice. Nice, right? Um, it was pretty funny. I do wonder if we're all being pumped, and this is like just for content for Nell because they oh. would totally be the type to do that, you know. Very true. Very true. Another conspiracy theory, Noah. You're on one today. I, I can't say I'm the one that found that. I did see, like, Tommy Toehold was the one okay. that brought that one up. So, it was, uh, Tommy Toehold was having a time with this video. It was cracking <laughs> me up. He's like, he's like, I can't help but feel like we're all being fucked with. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, on to the uh, rest. Let's get, in, let's get into the rest. Uh, so, whole card we're going over here. Yeah. So, let's start. Alex Pajera, first round knockout of Sean Strickland. How surprised were you by this knockout? Um, a bit. A bit more surprised yeah. than what some may think. Because Sean Strickland, regardless, love the guy or hate the guy, won the press conference on Thursday night, by the way, if you guys yes, count who wins press conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, he's number four in the world. He was on a six-fight win streak. He was really fucking good. <laughs> and Alex Pereira knocked him out cold. That left hand was so unique, it kind of came over top. Then, then Sean the gets up. punch. The same punch that knocked out Izzy in kickboxing. Well, there you go. This is my tape reviewer right here. I also tweeted that. Dom liked it and retweeted it, but evidently (laughs) didn't read it. And so, Sean gets up, and then Alex goes, boop, boop, with the right hand back-to-back, slept him. Oh, man. It was was a nasty knockout. Sean protested as he was stumbling over. It was a good stoppage. Uh, Alex Pera is 3-0 in the UFC has one win over a top five opponent, and now he's going to fight for a title. Pretty crazy rise, but I'm here for it. The history's there, as Noah's already mentioned with the kickboxing fights. So, yeah, uh, Sean probably should have wrestled. He said beforehand he was going to. He didn't, and he paid for it. That's all I can say. Yeah, he said at the press conference what went through his head for those first three minutes. He was, like, surprised at how easy the fight was going. He's like, I'm going to easily win this. He's like, I can't believe it. And then he said he got caught. Yeah, like so, it was big kind mistake. of nothing really happened until yeah. it happened, you know? Like, like I, like he kept saying, he's like, I felt like I was dominating the exchanges. I was like, what exchanges? I don't remember seeing It was that pretty many. relaxed, you know? Nothing, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Literally, like the first big punch of the fight is what put it away. So that's a tough loss for Sean Strickland. It is. Because um, he didn't have to take that fight, dude. Like, again, no, if you love him I mean, or hate him, respect for taking that fight. Really. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he won the press conference. I felt like this could have been a big, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Opportunity for him, like, to really, like, honestly, walking out of the press conference or turning off the press conference since I wasn't there, I almost got more excited at the idea of his fighting Sean than him fighting Pajara after that press conference. And, uh, yep. After that fight took place, I'm like, well, <laughs> guess that's not in the cards anymore. Yeah, so we'll uh, see. Awesome knockout for Pajara. Literally the same fucking punch. The overhand left that put away Izzy. It was just incredible to see that. Shows how powerful that man is, dude. Like, yeah, any way that us in the MMA world, any way we can find to mention Izzy being knocked out by Pajara, we do it. Including, he landed the same punch on another guy. I mean. Oh yeah, can't ima- can't can't wait to hear the lead up to that fight and how much we have to see the replay and all of that stuff. So, but <laughs> it is it's a big fight. It is. We might have to do a shot challenge for that one. Take a shot every <laughs> time. We gonna be gone if that's the case. <laughs> 
Uh, our fight of the night winner went to Brian Barberina and Robbie Lawler. They went after it for the better part of two rounds, Dom. Brian Barberina gets the win, TKO'd. As a Robbie Lawler stand, this one hurt me quite a bit. Uh, Robbie looked so good in this Didn't fight. He? I mean, it was Man. just the striking was on point. The head movement was there. What this became, I've. Brian Barberina is such an interesting skilled fighter because he is skilled when it comes to the, his, his ability to pressure and his ability on the feet. And he's a tough ass dude. He's got a granite chin. He lets you get tired of punching him in the face <laughs> and never, and never goes away. So like Robbie, I think had basically like kind of gassed himself by simply punching Barberina in the face for two rounds. And Barbarina never stopped coming forward. So once Robbie did look a little gassed, Barbarina put on the pressure, landed a few really good shots, had Robbie out on his feet. Ref had to yeah. jump in and save him. It was a tough pill to swallow. But, man, I don't know if you saw, Dom. I had put a meme out on our, yes. on our Twitter earlier this that was week. Great. Of, uh, I felt like tweeting that photo again. Because, like, Robbie, win or lose, just always in fun scraps. And Brian Barberina, credit to him, biggest win of his career. I don't know what it'll do for him, but, I mean, you got to be wondering how many more before this guy's looking at a top 15 opponent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley had a pretty uneventful fight, and then it ends in the worst of ways with a no contest. Sean O'Malley... Unfortunately, pokes Pedro in the eye. I poked didn't look that bad, but Pedro unable to continue. Yeah. Um, are you one of those people that think Pedro was faking? No, oh, I'm never going to say that about a fighter. I know, I, I know. I just, but, I, 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 this is a stupid question. But no, I mean, you're right, though, when you said like it didn't look... Like, we've seen some nasty fucking eye pokes. So when you look at that, them, this one wasn't like those where there's a full knuckle into the eyeball like it wasn't one of those but um it sucks it was it sucks it was very again not much happened to Noah's point but it was it did feel like sean's biggest test like pedro probably won the first round it was close but i'd say he probably won the first round and the second round three judges scored it for pedro okay um sean coming on strong in the second looking good starting to put a little bit more together and then the eye poke happens it's just unfortunate because it was sean's chance to get into the top 10 pedro's chance to shut down a hype train and it ends in the worst way possible like no said with no contest so it's tough do you run it back <sighs> i don't have a problem with it i mean it was a competitive fight it's uh, yeah why not? I'm fine with a running I mean, back. I don't There's see not, why I mean, not. It know? wasn't like Sean was besting him for two rounds. It's like, well, let's just put him with another top ten guy. And Pedro wasn't like dominating Sean, so let's not push, push him back into a top five fight. So I would, I would do it. Yeah, and relatively soon. Felt like good. Ma- felt like good. Felt like good matchmaking. I mean, they, it was a oh, competitive yeah. fight for sure. Oh yeah, I, I would run it back. It makes sense. I wouldn't mind seeing that be a fight night headliner. I don't I know if they want the to do thing. Sean that way, but Sean should be in a main event here soon. Yeah, yeah. I would not have one problem with that at all. Because the way that fight was looking, it looked like it was going to go to full 15. So we might as well test out Sean O'Malley's cardio over 25 yeah. minutes. I'm just saying. And we know Pedro can do 25. So, yeah, I have no problem in that at all. Our headliner of the prelims, Dom, a fight you, me, Dude. everyone – 
we're anticipating Jalen Turner. Man. Gets the 45-second submission over Brad Rydell, fellow lightweight prospect Brad Rydell. I mean, Jalen Turner just seems to have just reached kind of his I don't I don't not even ceiling yet, but he seems to be fully realizing the potential oh, that man. a lot of people saw for him. He seems to have cleared a lot of the the holes in his game early on and he is maximizing his strengths and there doesn't seem to be many holes there anymore. And Dominic, before I let you say your piece, I think this I, words can't even do this by justice. I think there is only one clip that could suffice to show what Brad Rydell was going through fighting Jalen Turner here. Here's the clip. There it is. So there it is. And uh, Dominic, your thoughts on the fight? Uh, well, for what we got, 45 seconds worth, I, I first off, bet slip-wise, I regret taking Jalen Turner off because I had him on originally as a money line play. Anyway, it's fine, though. Um, he looked great. He's so long. He's so powerful. But he's so good on I mean, the you ground, You heard him with too. the first punch. Heard yes, first it was a punch. massive, massive right hand. To do that against Brad Ardell, world-class kickboxer, man, to hurt him like that shows the power that Turner possesses, and he's just so damn big for lightweight. I can't wait to see this guy attack the top 15 and see what can come of him. He's still only like 20 late 20s 27 26 something mm-hmm. like that very young um and to be 6-3 to have the reach advantage over everybody else in this division i'm so excited to see what's next for Jalen within like that top 10 area and brad rydell again your only two losses in the ufc rafael faziv who's about the main event against rda this coming week and Jalen turner there's nothing to hold your head down about i still like brad rydell i think he is a very good talent still but it was Jalen turner's night and he capitalized on it a guy who I said was looking a little green in the UFC so far was Ian Gary, and he was taking on his greenest opponent to date, only in name, as Gabe Green. Falls to Damn Ian it, Gary. Did again. <laughs> I think I was a little smoother that time, though. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> Gabe Green falls to Ian Gary via unanimous decision, and Dominic, I said he was, again, no pun intended. I, I legitimately meant it when I said, Ian Gary had looked kind of green so far in the UFC. He's 24 years old, 9-0. Yes, we know the talent's there, but he hadn't really put like, a complete performance together. Like the Jordan Williams fight was a first-round knockout, but Jordan Williams was winning that round yeah. Yeah. up until he got knocked out at the very end. And then you had the fight with... Um, uh, Darian Weeks. <laughs> as my dad's coming through. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so, I forget who his second opponent was now. Um, Darian Weeks. Darian Weeks, sorry. Big Todd <laughs> just comes storming through. <laughs> That's our first cameo but, on the uh, show. <laughs> and Darian Weeks did give him a pretty good fight. I mean, yeah. Gary just didn't look as, you know, polished as a lot of these prospects that we see sometimes. Here, though, I thought this was a complete performance. This was our against... What we thought was his toughest competition, and he shined here. I mean, the striking, the precision, the speed, everything. He looked pretty perfect here, I thought. Yeah. I, I All of a sudden, you know, I kept I, – I was nervous about putting Ian Gary on the parlay. I said this was the, 
the and I'll talk yep. about the parlay later. I said that was the leg that I was most worried about, and it ended up being the safest one out of the three, I guess. So uh, shows how much I know. Yeah, right. Yeah, good performance from Ian. Uh, Drickus Duplessis and Brad Tavares had. Holy shit. How do I describe this fight? <laughs> Insert clip here. You can rock 'em, sock 'em with the rock 'em, sock 'em robots by Marks. Now, I'm just going to tell you guys, when I said that, I have no idea what clip is going to be put there. I'm going to make, I'm going to make Dom find okay. a clip that best describes that fight we just saw with Duplessis and Brad Tavares. Um, the fight was great. It was a war. Yes. Uh, Drickus was absolutely chaotic. Yes. Brad Tavares is one of the toughest people in the world. A dog. Mm-hmm. I, I just I don't know what else to really say. I I was very confident in my Drickus Moneyline bet. It was the biggest size bet I had on the night. I had a yeah. almost a little over a unit and a half on it. And um after round one I said, Oh my god, what did I do? I said, What is <laughs> this guy doing? Yeah. I mean round one, that was I mean, I'm telling you, Dom, I again I don't know how to like word it. Like he was I mean, he was showing shades of, like, Chris Lieben in that round. Yeah. Like, Chris Lieben used to do, like, the running, throwing punches, chin up in the air. That was Chris Lieben's thing. Yeah. But that was 2005, and that was working. Drickus Duplessis is a world-class kickboxer. Yeah. And he was doing that. And I did not – I don't understand what we saw from him here. It seemed as he got a little more tired – it actually kind of benefited him to where he was more calm and collected and fought yeah. more technical. But Dominic, what did you think when you were watching that? I mean, just a weird performance from him. Whirlwind of emotions. One, I missed the part or not parlay, but I missed a play on him by finish. But I should have known better because Brad Tavares is just so fucking durable. But what a what a great fight! It was still like a big time performance for Drickus to stay undefeated in the UFC and get into the rankings, but also just so much respect to Brad Tavares. He's so underrated. I think he's underappreciated just because due to his lack of inactivity, but he is a good solid fighter. Unfortunately though, he's kind of like the ultimate gatekeeper and that's not said in a, you know, a harmful way for people getting into the top 15. And that's kind of what this fight was. Uh, but it was just so back and forth. Drick has shattered Brad's nose bad with a knee in the clinch, by the way, and Brad acted like nothing ever happened. Bleeding all down his face, in his mouth, everything, and just kept coming forward toward Drickus. So it was just a sick fight. That's all it was. It was awesome. Yeah. Andre Munez got a pretty easy coasted to a easy unanimous decision win over Uriah Hall. I will say Uriah Hall showing some nice submission defense, but that's where the positives end with that performance. 17 significant strikes across three rounds for Uriah. Wow. Wow. The matchup of we knew it was the matchup of specialists. I mean, we knew someone was probably going to dominate, but you know, it's just for Uriah, it's just another chapter in what is ultimately one of the more disappointing careers we've seen in the UFC. Yeah, very much so. He does not let the hands go, and we know what he possesses when he does. Uh, and Muniz, to his credit. Held us all on the feet, but on the ground, just fucking world-class. You don't want to be on the ground with him. Even though he didn't get a submission win here, it's dominance. There's no there's no weakness in his ground game at all. This dude's now in the top ten, by the way, 
uh, in the UFC, undefeated in the UFC. Could be a future title contender, no doubt about it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Macy Barber got the biggest win of her career, unanimous decision win over Jessica I. Jessica I retired afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize I missed the fight, Dom, so I'll go back to that fight okay. here momentarily. Yeah. I, I just now realized, I was like, wait a minute, there was another retirement on this night. Yeah. Um, so we'll finish Macy with him. Barber, yeah. yeah. Macy Barber retires Jessica I in what was the most Jessica I performance maybe I've ever seen, where she kind of performed very questionably. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, it was so funny afterwards. She actually said at her press conference, she said that she was retiring mostly because she knew she wanted to retire before they kicked her out. Mm, I respect so that. She pulled the she 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 pulled the you can't fire me because I quit. Yeah, respect. Macy Barber looked good. She looked good here, I will say. But uh, Jessica, I weird performance. Just not. She, no boxing and all she did was one the clinch the whole fight yeah quickly just to your point that's it so to me macy did better at jessica i's range and worse in her typical range where she still she still won most of the clinch just because i think she landed more damaging strikes but the control time was more in jessica's favor but at distance probably the best we've seen macy look so for what it's worth i know just guy retired not a great record but Macy is still evolving and looked better at distance than all of her other fights, I thought. So, yeah, I mean, I will say the clinch, like, it looked like it hurt the way that Macy was just, like, pushing her head back. Mm. Like, it yeah. was not normal. Like, I feel like Just Guy's neck is probably all fucked up today. Like, yeah, yeah. Had a crick in her neck from having Macy just shove her fist into, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, lastly, first fight of the night, Dom, Julia Stoliarenko came in with a purpose, and that purpose was to not go if I in the UFC. She gets the 42-second armbar over Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark, two straight armbar losses, 42 seconds here. How tough of a pill is this to swallow for JRC? I, I think it's tough. I think the potential that was once there at least early on in her career has faded a lot recently but especially here now two straight submission losses in a row in the first round and good for Stoliarenko by, by the way I saw a lot of people hitting bets on her by sub and even some people they can bet like by what type of sub you guys cashed a great ticket last night because she's like a queen of arm bars and Jessica can clearly not defend them well so shout out to you guys and shout out to uh, Stoliarenko again she got her first win in the UFC Probably is going to keep her around for a little bit longer as a result. So. Yeah, I, would, I was going to ask you. You know, we'll, I'll give her a little bit of credit. I mean, she. I, I wasn't saying honestly to dis, I'm not trying to disparage her, but I mean, she legitimately. You could tell like, she wanted. Yeah, I mean, she went in there with a with a purpose. You know. Yeah, I'm curious. Like now that she is, she's one in four. It's still not a pretty record. Do you think that that kind of win though is enough over an opponent like Jessica Rose Clark, who's probably a better win than a lot of women with better records have in UFC? Is that enough to give her like a couple more fights, or is she still fighting for her UFC career next time out? Uh, I could see her getting like oh I don't know what her like contract is, but I could see two or three more fights for sure. Yeah, I think like even okay. when she loses, it's not like she gets destroyed either. Like she's fought relatively good competition, so. 
I think we see her. She seems to struggle when the fight stays standing longer because if yeah. you notice, I think JRC hurt her with the first punch of the fight. So yes, uh, yes. I think uh, that's just going to be kind of her big uh, hole when she moves forward. But yeah, when it comes to submissions and arm bars, mm. that's the queen right there. Below average bet slip, Dom. Yeah. Wait. Last fight. Uh, oh, sorry, no. sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> I accidentally skipped over. Actually, I meant to do this. Of course, I wanted to shave it. Best for last. Of course. Jim right. Miller gets the second round submission. Uh, we just need Cerrone. For- all around, both guys, legends. Yeah. These are the kind of fights that you just love to see every once in a while. Two guys, Yeah, you don't know how much they have left, but they have enough left to go out there and perform for the fans and put on a show. These guys had yep. a fun fight. Uh, Jim Miller catches Cerrone like, out of nowhere with, the, with a uh, guillotine choke in round two. And Don Cerrone retired, Don. Let me put down in the cage, put the gloves down. Um, what a career for Donald Cerrone. You know, one of the best to never win a title for sure. Yep. Um, as as a newer fan of the sport, admittedly. I mean, I don't know if you still consider me a newer fan or if I've kind of graduated into being, you know, a guy who's been around for a while. Basically, <laughs> yeah. I've been a fan since 2016, which is newer than probably most people. I'll just say Don Cerrone's like run from then through like 2018, 20, up until he made a vintage with Conor McGregor. He was one of the most electrifying guys in the company. He was must-see TV. He was fighting four or five times a year. Yeah. Um, he was always in fun fights. He would win when you thought maybe this was the time for him to lose. Unfortunately, sometimes he lost when you thought this was kind of his moment to shine and win big. Um, but that's just a cowboy story, man. An absolute uh, company man who, you know, did everything. He literally took every fight he could. Um, just a legend. And it sucks that he had to go down that way. But, you know, he's starting movies now. I think he'll be okay. Yeah. He's an absolute legend. We've had the pleasure to meet him. Class act guy in person as well. And just, again, never in a doll fight. Always did it for the fans. Left it on the cage. It was emotional. It was. But if there's anyone that's going to put Donald into retirement, why not Jim Miller? It was a perfect story. It really was. And, and due to that, of course, Miller, now the all-time leader in wins, by the way, too. Yep, yep. Now it's three in a row for him on this renaissance run he's been on. and Yep. This guy said he wants to fight till UFC 300. I'm not sure if he's going to have to stop there. No, might make it to 400 the way he's looking right now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's move on to the bet slip below average one at that. Yeah. It, this is a bit is... of a chalky week. It's a bit of a chalky yeah. week. We kind of just kind of just held ground. Didn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't lose too much ground, but we didn't gain any ground. It just... You you know, it's just one of those weeks. It started out promising, and it felt like as the card, like the main card was a bit harsher to us. And yeah, you know, like you look at the parlays. Yeah, um, I left mine on there, but, but it it turned into a weird thing. Obviously, with the Sean, it turned into one, an Andre Munez yeah. money line at minus two eighty five. For some reason, my parlay still hit. Yeah, at plus one sixty seven. So. Good on them for um, doing that, by the way. 
Yeah, I know. That, that might that more of an incentive to use uh, yeah. handle, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Nothing really that stuck out to me here. Like, I kind of liked everything I played. I mean, Strickland Pajera to start round three kind of looks a little silly, but um, I don't know. I Honestly, Dom, like, I know we didn't come out on the positive end here, but, like, I don't think there's anything to like hold our heads down about. No, Truth most of these, I mean, Izzy by KOTK might have been, a, you know, again, a bit of projecting, just hopeful that the fight would go that kind of way where he could maybe put on a really good performance. But I don't know. I don't see anything here that I wouldn't have bet if I had to go back. I mean, I just feel like it was just one of those weeks that didn't land in our favor the majority of the time. But still, not we didn't lose too much ground. We're fine. Yeah, we're good. And I, for me... I just have to let this be known to the people so it adds motivation. There have been seven pay-per-views so far in 2022. I have profited on one of them. I am so bad at uh, on pay-per-views. I'm it's great so, at fight nights. It's so amazing how we're the opposite. Yeah, I, I have struggled so bad on pay-per-views. But, hey, there's two in the month of July, damn it. So head held high. Barely lost a little ground, but we still have momentum trickling in from the last two weeks. The Joeys are good. good. I just think it's funny. Like, I think I've profited off of every pay-per-view except, like, one, which was UFC 275, which was probably the worst betting night of all time. time. (laughs) But, uh, like, outside of that, pay-per-views have been really kind to me. But the fight nights. So, I guess we we just need to put it all together, Dom. You know, me and you... We both are good at what we're good at. Let's just, you know, put it all together for a few weeks, you know, get on a big run. Oh, and and then it's dangerous, baby. Then it's dangerous. Yep. I still look at it like I don't think the hot streak's over. You know, we oh, had no. back-to-back oh, no. weeks. I said, don't let don't let the Joes get hot. I still no. was able to profit ever so slightly. Like, again, you look at those bets. I don't think there's a lot of bad plays on there. I thought Waller-Balverena was on its way to go into a decision. You know, yeah. I – not too many that I look at. One of those bets goes the other way. All of a sudden, Joe's are still it's hot. It's positive so, nine. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Let's move into closing statements, Dom. You know how this stuff goes. It's the way we end the show. MMA, non-MMA related. Anything to get off our chest to send us into the week. What do you have for closing statements today? Uh, I don't actually have anything today. <laughs> no. Enjoy the week. That's all I got. Yeah, nothing. All I'm going to say for closing statements today is if I looked like I was moving around a lot or uncomfortable at all in this episode, it's because I have a different chair in here, Um, and this chair sucks ass. So my ass is like in a lot of pain. I need to use the butt pillow you gave me, the Ohio State butt pillow. I still have it. That thing is clutch, yeah. Yeah, it's just got Dom's butt juice just all... Yeah, if anybody ever sleeps with that pillow, pink eye immediately. They're done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'll keep that in mind, but I definitely could have used it for this episode. My, my yeah. butt is hurting. So Live and learn. That's it, guys. Um, let us know, again, all your thoughts on the card. A lot of big takeaways, a lot of talking points. So I, we want to hear from you. Uh, what parlays, what bets did you hit on? What sports books were you using? Were you a lucky FanDuel parlay player that was able to get their, their parlay from Sean O'Malley or not? Um, but I'm Noah Baker. That's Don McSlee. We're the Below Average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Thursday.